0: and welcome back to the So Rude Podcast. My name is Paige and I'm your host. I'm so excited to share that today we have another guest, Julie Palumbo. After 10 years spent in the financial industry, Julie decided to pursue what she had been passionate about for years and combine that with her own experience of living with Crohn's disease, which led her to eventually creating a better, healthier and happier life. And now I'm so excited that she's here sharing that information with you. As a certified nutrition consultant and health coach, Julie works with individuals who are on a mission to feel better physically and mentally in order to boost daily energy and productivity. Together, she works with clients to create a customized plan that will take them from where they are today to their best whole self. Julie,
1: thank you so much for coming on the So Rude podcast. My pleasure, Paige. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course. I'm so excited that you're joining us. I had the pleasure of listening to one of your talks during a networking event, and I really loved the information that you were sharing. So as someone who has a podcast platform, and I have a lot of people tuning in all over the young adult age range, even into, you know, their 30s and 40s, I just thought it would be great to kind of bring you on and have you share some of your great tips with us as well.
1: It's my pleasure. And as you mentioned, as a financial advisor for 10 years, that was all during my 20s into my early 30s. So I really, I guess, underestimated the value of taking care of your health when you're young, and thought that it was something to only worry about down the line or when you needed it. And I am living proof that that is not true. And that you have to make that investment early before it's too late to to get started on the right track.
0: Yeah, especially as someone, so I'm, I just turned 27 earlier this year. And I feel like for so long, people talk about wanting to be healthier and, you know, you want to put in place healthy habits. But when it actually comes to doing those things or actually making those changes, it's so much harder than just saying, oh, yeah, I want to go for a walk after work.
1: You're absolutely right. So 80% of everything we do is out of habit and 20% is out of knowledge. So just because we know we should do something doesn't mean that we are going to do it. And that is where a big difference between a nutritionist and a health coach comes into play, uh, which is why I went beyond just getting my nutritionist certification and got my health coaching certification is because I wanted to make sure that what I was telling my clients was actually happening. And that when they stopped working, working with me when our program was complete, they had the tools to continue working themselves, continually building upon the habit changes that we created, and kind of making it second nature so that if they didn't do what they had been doing, it feels odd. And it's great that we form habits. It's a necessity for our lives and for survival, because if we had to think critically for every little activity that we did throughout the day, we wouldn't have the capacity to do some critical thinking for things that are important. So that's why our brains create habits. But it's just as easy to form a good habit as a bad habit. And it's all a matter of, of taking what you want to achieve starting day one with that habit and going from there. And you mentioned I'm going to start walking or maybe a lot of my clients want to work out X amount of days per week. If you don't start with day one and gradually build upon that it's too difficult to go all or nothing so a big part of the habit change is kind of starting small and building upon that and just making it at first a conscious effort and then in time you know it just becomes as natural as brushing your teeth every day and every morning and night it's just part of your daily routine.
0: What really stuck out to me when you were talking was that you said, even when someone's completed with a plan, or they've wrapped up in a sense working with you directly, it's not like any support or knowledge or information is out the window. These are things that people are really learning and improving upon so that way they can do it themselves. Too often you get into these programs that are just basically like endless consumers right they're endless customers and I mean I guess that's a nice business model but it's not actually making the change that you want for people to actually do in their own lives
1: Yes, I have worked with many uh, lifers, as they like to call it, for these different plans without mentioning names. And it seems like as, as long as they're following along and they're you know counting their calories or their points or whatever it is, they're fine. But then, you know, you take the training wheels off and they can't ride the bike on their own. So I like to think of it as giving people the tools that when we're no longer working together, when we take away the safety net, we take off the training wheels, they're able to then execute on their own. And I do maintenance programs, which I stretch out instead of four consecutive weeks, it might be four sessions over two months. So I think that by providing my clients with the right tools, I like to think that I do a good job when we stop working together, because then that means that they learn something valuable that they could take on their own. And, you know, we don't live in a vacuum. So life is going to happen. So once they identify their triggers, um, they identify the emotional components that go with a lot of what they eat, which is very common. And they start these healthy habits, it's very difficult to shake that, which is a good thing.
0: Yeah, and just to share, I read it in your bio just a little bit, but just to make sure, I'm introducing you and your background. You actually were working in the financial industry, right, before yes. breaking into health. I'd love for you to share with us a little bit more about what that was like for you, and and what kind of led you to shifting more towards the health side.
1: Sure. So when I started my career in 2008, I was at a, a major investment firm, and it was also the same year I was diagnosed with Crohn's, and for anyone who who knows recent history, uh, 2008 was probably the worst year to get involved in finance. It added a lot of stress, and having Crohn's disease, which is an autoimmune disease, stress really kind of brings everything to a head and enhances and creates lots of flares and and symptoms. So I was in this vicious cycle of being sick and stressed for the better part of the the start of my career, and. I also, as I mentioned earlier, was in my 20s. And, you know, being an advisor not only is stressful, but it also requires a certain lifestyle of client entertainment and going out for work happy hours. And, you know, in 2008, 2009, the Phillies were in the World Series. So, like, we were <laughs> out, you know, for that. Like, it was just the perfect recipe for disaster on my body. And, I finally had to take a step back in 2014. I had a major surgery for my Crohn's, and it was a wake up call to realized that I was not invincible I had to focus on my health so once I started making the necessary changes um I changed my diet I went gluten free I still am to this day I really cleaned up my my diet as a whole I would say I eat a lot less processed foods alcohol consumption was greatly reduced to only weekends you know not like an everyday thing and I also learned to better manage my stress which is huge when dealing with any type of autoimmune disease. And by doing this, I saw a great improvement in my health. And I developed this passion for, you know, learning all that I could about health and wellness. And I saw the benefit it was having in me. And I thought, other people need to know this. And other people need to know how to do this. And the nutritionist I worked with at the time was great in telling me what to do. But it was up to me to learn how to do it. And that was the the critical part that I thought I could add to people's lives was the how component as we talked about earlier in the podcast. So I was determined to get certified and I I kind of moonlighted for a bit. I was doing both careers at once. And I just realized I only have so much time and energy in my life, and I have to give it to my passion. So I hung up my suit, and I put on my sneakers, and I started being a health coach full time in 2018. And in in August of 2016, I was declared in remission with my Crohn's. And that was actually when I launched Best Whole Self. And I just thought that it was a sign that, you know, everything was working. And if I went from being as sick And stressed as I was just years ago. Again, just in my 20s, like I should have been a normal, healthy girl and not constantly being hospitalized and canceling plans and everything. So I thought, if I could do that in my own life, what could I do for others? And I just shifted gears a little bit. And now I've been full time for about two and a half years doing health coaching, and it's been really rewarding.
0: So much about your story, I think, is so inspiring. The first thing that really stood out to me was you saying, I got interested in kind of a side hustle, I guess I could describe mm-hmm. it as that, right? You're yeah. starting out, you had something a little bit on the side, but you found that your interests were so much more aligned with that side hustle and where your passions were going. And, you know, relatively young, you decided, no, I'm ready to focus my attention on what actually makes me happy rather than just like the fact that this other job pays the bills. It's yes. <laughs> it's so funny because earlier today, I have a younger sister and we were talking about how so many people in finance just work these insane hours. And there is just so much stress that comes from that, especially right now we're in the pandemic. People financially are just freaking out over what's going to happen. And like I can't even imagine working in a career like that and the stress that comes from a job like that.
1: Yeah, it it was a lot. And it it was a lot that was beyond my control. And I think that was a bit of a a turning point when I realized I could work on my own health, I could control that and I could allow others to also control their future with their health. And very similar to, you know, investing in your finances for your future, you have to make the investment early on. And the sooner you start investing or saving, the better off you are down the road. And you can't try to play catch up when it's too late so i realized that this is something that i could help others take initiative immediately as opposed to being a financial advisor if the market is crashing i can't do anything to stop it you know and and if there's a worldwide pandemic there's nothing i could do to stop that but from a health standpoint i could help you boost your immunity and i could help you create ways that you could incorporate healthier habits during these unstructured times. And, and all of that really allowed me to tap into my passions, which is helping people and have them see a great benefit in making those small changes. And I think it was kind of a, a silver lining and being diagnosed with a chronic illness, I'm now able to help others get healthy. So I, I think this all had to happen and other people too, if you're listening, who are kind of debating what to do next with their career, it's never too late to start something new. And I thought I dedicated 10 years to this grueling industry and I got all my licenses and extra designations. And am I just going to walk away from it? And I did, and I'm happier for that. So kind of a life lesson tip here, it's never too late. So if you're doing something that does not bring you great happiness, kind of reconsider a little bit and definitely do what brings you happiness and that can pay the bills too. (laughs) That's important. especially
0: people in their 20s, maybe you're fresh out of college, maybe you're wrapping up your degree. You know, you're 18, sometimes you're as young as 18 or 17 years old when you decide this is my career path. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you get into it a little bit and you realize I'm not as interested in this as I thought. And I really value that you shared with us. It's never too late to try something new because not only is that relevant for your career, but that's relevant for your health too. Like if you grew up in a family that had certain habits, It's very possible you carried those into your, what I would deem your adult life, right? Once you're old enough to make your own choices and it's hard to think, okay, I want to change this, but if you're interested or you want to, then you need to find the tools that'll help you get there.
1: Exactly. And yes, it doesn't matter. It's better to start now than tomorrow with anything. So if you're 25 now and you're thinking, well, I've had bad eating habits the past 10 years, why am I going to start now? Well, you know what? In two years from now, you either could be healthier, like you're going to be 27 anyway. So you're either going to be 27 and healthy or 27 and unhealthy. And it all just starts with taking that first step. And I think that it could be a little overwhelming thinking, oh, I'm taking on this whole new lifestyle. But if you just break it down one thing at a time, and maybe your first step is just, I'm drinking more water or I'm only going out Fridays and Saturdays. And I know with the pandemic now, it's kind of easy to have a drink every night. And I I like to tell people make the weekend special again and, and hold off and just have a glass of wine on Friday or Saturday. And there's always something small that you could do that will make a big result. So don't ever think that you're so beyond help. You know, you could always do one thing. And on the flip side, maybe you're thinking, oh, I am in really good shape. But maybe you take on too much stress that right now isn't really affecting you, or you're visually not seeing the effects of this stress. But you know, five, 10 years from now, it will start taking a toll. So it's never too soon to start. It's never too late to start. You just have to make that commitment that today is day one.
0: Especially during COVID right now, there's been, I would say even leading up to COVID, there was more talk about stress and mental health, especially with the younger generation of people just because they are more vocal about those types of things. But especially since COVID has hit, I think you're seeing so much more about mental health on social media. People are talking about it more. People say the words like anxiety or stress in casual conversation. I just think that's such a great transition for where our community is going, moving forward.
1: Yes, it's definitely more accepted now. And I'm glad I'm I'm happy that we could talk about it, because I feel like years ago, you could easily say, Oh, I have the flu. But if you said, Oh, I have anxiety, people just don't accept that. And I do a lot of in house workshops for companies, where it's great seeing that they value the health and wellness of their employees, because especially coming from a financial background, it was taboo to say I need to take a day like a mental health day or just some self-care time. You know, it it was a badge of honor to work 12 hour days, be fueled by vodka and coffee and then (laughs) do it all over again the next day and not take a pause for yourself. And I'm so, so happy to see that companies are recognizing it now. I think that making it just part of the conversation is the only way that we could definitely help each other. And I have never experienced speaking out on my own stress history and, my own suffering with depression. Anyone who suffers from IBD, IBS typically does have some form of anxiety and depression. Just side note, because 90% of your serotonin is produced in your gut. So it is a vicious cycle if you are having stomach issues, and then you're stressed about the stomach issues, it kind of is never ending. So just being open about my own journey with that just allows others to recognize the space that they could also talk about it. So maybe you don't want to go right out and ask someone how they're feeling emotionally. But the second you just open up a little bit about yourself and maybe something that you've been struggling with just opens the door for the conversation for the other person to join in
0: naturally the reason i'm so excited to bring you on the podcast is because you're someone that experienced their own wellness journey and their own behavior change and now you're in a position where you can then help others i have a lot of respect for people that go through the motions themselves because you got to practice what you preach and so i know you talked about ibs Sometimes people don't even realize they're experiencing things that are abnormal just because they've lived with it for so long, or it's just part of their daily routine. I was just curious if you had any tips or suggestions on ways people could become more familiar, maybe they do need to look into something like a specialist to help with gut health. And I was just curious if you had anything to share about that.
1: Yes. And Paige, you nailed it. I think the biggest issue is that we just skew our sense of normalcy and we just begin to think that it's normal. We think it's normal that, you know, we could only go shopping for new clothes in the morning because by the afternoon, our stomachs are so bloated. Uh, We think it's normal that we have to eat with enough time before we leave the house so that we can use the bathroom. Like all these things just become, oh, doesn't everybody feel this way? And The answer is no. Um, Normally (laughs) it's not. Unfortunately, it's common, but it's not that normal. Um, So what I like to tell people to do is to actually keep almost like a journal as to how you feel every day. It's amazing if you look back and see, I, I like keeping food logs too, because we tend to forget what we eat and maybe how it affects us. So maybe if you jot down what you ate for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and your snack, and then recognize after breakfast, you felt bloated. After lunch, though, you felt okay. Um, maybe you went three consecutive days just having terrible stomach cramps after lunch, and you have to figure it out. And after three days, that becomes so much more of a pattern. But again, you can just start adapting that as the norm and you're like oh yeah like every time I go out to eat my stomach hurts and I think by writing it down and seeing it I think when you have a visual it's a lot easier to recognize a problem but then you could take it to your doctor or you could see a GI and kind of lay it out so that you have physical evidence if you will um, of how you've been feeling and It's not until honestly that I made a change in my own diet that I realized all of these things that I mentioned before were not normal. So I think just writing it down and seeing, you know, when was the last time, you know, you were able to go morning till night without an urgency to use the bathroom, or you were able to eat a meal without feeling so uncomfortable afterwards. I think those are good places to start by writing that down, just so that you could get a better gauge as to what's really normal and what's not.
0: So speaking as someone in their 20s, I used to eat out a ton. I was never a great cook. So typically I would stop and get takeout or or pick food up. Do you have any thoughts around if the types of foods that we're eating are leading to some more problems or maybe we're experiencing some of these uncomfortable urgencies as you've described because of either so much takeout? Because I feel like the culture nowadays, everyone's like, oh, just Uber Eats or get it delivered. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. We never know really what's in the food that we get if we don't make it ourselves. And myself living with dietary restrictions, I have to know everything that's in my food. And I know when I eat something that doesn't agree with me, I just make sure it's not common. I would say, first and foremost, if you are dining out or ordering in, which is more common now, I would stick to maybe once a week or once every other week just so that it doesn't become a habit. And I am like the most simple cook ever. I don't believe in meal prep. I don't think things have to be elaborate. If I have to scroll down a page for a list of ingredients, I'm not making that meal. It has to be simple and clean, healthy, but most importantly, not take a bunch of time and ingredients to make. And you could start that way. Eating healthy, one- could taste good and two could be really easy. So I would say just kind of start with one meal. Let's say you're always stopping in for an egg McMuffin for breakfast. Learn how to make your own omelet or if you need something portable, make a smoothie to go. Just start with one thing and build upon that. It doesn't have to be complicated, just has to be healthy. And I think that making it more of a, a rarity would be more of a treat and something that you would actually eventually become more enjoyable for you as opposed to a crutch. So it also will add to your emotional nourishment as well. If you don't make it as common, make it more like a treat to order out.
0: I am right there with you about not being an elaborate cook. I need like five ingredients or less. I need it to be simple. I don't need it to take three hours. And I mean, I have friends that love to cook. And so they'll spend a Sunday afternoon four hours to prepare a meal. And that's cool and all, but like on a typical day to day, the average person that has to get up for work in the morning, well, maybe not right now, but eventually we'll have to go get up in the morning and go to work and come home. And maybe it's already five, six o'clock by the time you walk in the door, it's finding those little tips and tricks that'll help you be more consistent, I think.
1: Exactly. And you you nailed it. Consistency is key. And it's something that's sustainable. I mean, if you're doing these like intense diets that involve only eating these certain foods, you have to prepare ahead of time, If that doesn't fit into your lifestyle, that's not going to be sustainable and then it's not going to work. And that's also important to note too is your lifestyle. And maybe you are someone who loves to cook and it's just a matter of what you're cooking that's going to make the difference, which great for you, that's your lifestyle. If you're someone who doesn't have a lot of time, do something that fits into that. And I think that considering your lifestyle and your likes and dislikes is also really important in creating a healthy lifestyle because if you don't like what you're doing, Going, you're never going to last. So it's all about making it work for you, making it work for your lifestyle and, and not making it feel like a chore, but kind of taking a little less off your plate for a lack of a better word. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's so funny you mentioned specific diets, especially when it comes to very select food groups. I feel like when people just talk to their friends or their family, there's so much misinformation out there and people see so much on social media. It skews what's a traditional food diet or what things people should be consuming.
1: I agree. Everyone asks me, uh, what do you think about the keto diet and what do you think about being paleo or vegan? And I like the whole clean eating as simple Uh, key ingredients why I always say look at the ingredient list and the least amount of ingredients listed the better I can't say everyone should eat these five things because not everyone could tolerate the same five things not everyone especially the people I work with not everyone could tolerate spinach not everyone could eat tomatoes you have to also eat what works for your body. So of course, it's not a one size fits all in lifestyle, but also the foods you could tolerate. But it also when you look at it in a broader view and not I'm only sticking to this one diet, it's also easier to follow. Because then if you should go to a party and there's a birthday cake there, you could enjoy it. And then just move on from it. You're not like so restricted. And I think the more restrictions, the more tempted we are to rebel and just binge on whatever we want. So I think taking the approach of just the simple key, strip down ingredients, minimally processed, listen to your body, recognize what works best with it. Again, maybe someone's spinach is the key to their life and others just it absolutely ruins them. So I can't just say, okay, eat this and not that. Um but listen to your body. And if you feel like you're working better eating more vegetables in the evening, then by all means do it. So it's definitely tuning into your body combined with moderation and keeping it clean and simple that I think is the best way to go for longevity and sustainability.
0: I totally agree. So like I said, I used to eat out all the time, right? <laughs> and you know, it's not exactly the healthiest foods that you're picking up when you're eating out. A lot of times it's the drive-through or it's what's grab and go in those cooler cases. And oftentimes those are things that are just loaded with so many different ingredients, half the time things you can't even pronounce and you feel horrible. I remember if I ever did get the egg McMuffin you were talking about, within 30 minutes I'd feel sluggish and tired. And then you need a soda later on to feel you know, re energized from that breakfast sandwich that you just ate. And it's just such a cycle.
1: You're absolutely right. And I always tell people, count chemicals, not calories. So certain p- products will promote, oh, 100-calorie snacks, and then you can't pronounce half of the foods in the ingredients list, which it, it's not even food, it's chemicals. Our bodies aren't designed to break that down and metabolize it. So not all calories are created equal. I think if people have the mentality that they only look at the amount of calories, they are completely oblivious to the additives that are potential weight gainers, the artificial ingredients, the artificial sugars that are doing more harm to their health than good. So I tell people, you know what? Skip the Cool Whip, have the whipped cream, just do it in moderation. Skip the margarine, have the real butter. It's just so much more important to count chemicals and calories. And I think as a society, we've been trained, you know, to only look at that one key number, whereas the rest of the ingredients list and nutrition facts are so much more important than just the calories.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I also really like that you were talking about finding what works for you. Because for example, I'm allergic to avocado and like half the diet plans out there are like, you need avocado. It is a sustainable ingredient for your life. And I'm like, well, since I can't eat that, half your dishes are off my list. And so I just really like that you were talking about, you got to find what works for you and foods that you like. Like if you don't like spinach, do you have to eat spinach every day? No, but you can find another leafy green that would take
1: the place. Exactly. And I feel like people do have the all or nothing mentality. Like, oh, I can't eat you know spinach or I can't eat avocados. Forget that. You know, no, like if there's other alternatives. And in a lot of my virtual coaching programs, it's not as one on one and customized, but I do tell my participants here's a list of options so that they could pick from the list in case they can't have this kale salad. What's another alternative that? also is going to get them the same results, even if they can't tolerate kale. And I don't want people to feel like they're destined for failure, or they're never going to get healthy because they can't tolerate these foods. And I know a lot of IBD, IBS patients can't eat raw vegetables, and that's fine. You know, there's always a cooked carrot or a sweet potato and things that are still gentle on your stomach that will give more of that nutritional value than just having Box macaroni and cheese. And it's all about just kind of pausing and recognizing what works for your body, your dietary needs. And I just like to avoid making the blanketed statement. The only blanketed statement I have is avoid sugar. Sugar is never good for anyone. And bacon. Those are like my two <laughs> things to, to take away. But everything else, you know, hey, if it works for you, great. If it doesn't, there's always an alternative. So
0: I used to work at a sort of gas station chain in the Upper East area, and I would work in the deli. And I swear, people put bacon... It's just funny because you mentioned bacon. People put bacon on everything. I was making a meatball sandwich for someone and they put bacon on it. I'm like. (laughs) that doesn't even sound like it would be good together. I mean, no judgment to the people that do, but yeah, bacon has become like America's favorite food and I don't know when it happened, but.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's um, especially if you have any form of digestive issue, bacon is the worst thing that you could eat. Any kind of processed meat in general is bad, but bacon is just straight fat and the body is unable to metabolize it and digest it. And if you don't have stomach issues, it's really not adding any type of nutritional value to your your diet or your body and from what i've read where it comes on the pig is not the cleanest part either so you may just want to consider that so it's just the last thing on my list of like you absolutely have to eat this you do not if bacon didn't exist um that would be okay but i'm okay with turkey bacon that's that's a little different and again moderation though i mean if you could tolerate it and you are at this restaurant that's known for their bacon cheeseburger and you just want it and you haven't had bacon in like five months, go for it. Make it count. Don't add bacon to your meatball sandwich at your, on an uh, arbitrary at your Tuesday.
0: Day. Yeah, exactly.
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely go for it, especially if you really like it, appreciate it, you know, and then move on. Just don't make it a, a constant staple in your diet.
0: Yeah. And so you were just talking about your online coaching platform a lot of people that listen to this podcast, they're in their 20s, they're maybe living on their own for the first time in an apartment, they're finally in charge of making their own choices around groceries. I guess I'm just curious if you had any tips for someone who's, you know, new into this space, and, and how can they start to really think about the things that they should be, you know, picking up from the grocery store, or things like that?
1: So I really believe in kind of incorporating certain food groups into your diet. So let's go back to the spinach example. When I used to live alone, I would buy a whole bag of spinach and I could never finish it before it went bad. It's just like a a feat that I I couldn't (laughs) conquer. So I would take spinach and I would make it sauteed as a side and I would throw it in a smoothie and I would add it to my eggs and I would eat it as a salad. So I had different ways of using it. So one, it was good because I didn't get tired of eating the same thing over and over, but also I wasn't wasting money on a bag of spinach that I only have twice and then was just over and and never finished it. So that's one thing that I like to to kind of use one food in many different ways and kind of categorize that. Another thing is if you absolutely love, let's say Chinese food, that's like my big weakness, you could find, it's just, I don't know. There's just something about it, it. I love it. but it's not great for my digestive system. And it's definitely something that I don't enjoy as much as I used to, fortunately. But there are so many online recipes for like healthy swaps to make that I would say if you absolutely love Kung Pao chicken, find a healthy alternative to that and learn how to make it well. And if you make it the first time, and it's not that great, figure out how to make it to your liking. And that would be your signature dish. And I love Indian food as well. And I make a really good chicken tikka masala that is it's whole 30 approved. So it's very clean, no added, no dairy, no greens, anything like that. And I love it. So when I'm craving it, I still get that. So pick a signature dish that you could just absolutely nail and make that your go to. And also, Just be mindful um, of taking certain foods and and learning how to repurpose them, if you will, so that it saves on just wasted food. I hate throwing food away. And I think that, you know, during these times, we're not out there having all this abundance in time, in food, in money, you know, it's just kind of being smart in that way. So I like to just consolidate and, and find different uses for my foods.
0: And that's such a great response to the argument that eating healthy is expensive, because if you're picking something up, I I know I've seen this argument from friends in the media, a bag of apples is like so much more expensive than a bag of potato chips. But you can go through a bag of those potato chips within like at one sitting, that bag of apples may last you the whole week. And so like you said, finding different purposes, that way it's not, well, I'm only buying apples and if I don't eat them, they're going to go bad. Throw it in your breakfast oatmeal, throw it in other things. That way you're using these things that you're spending money on.
1: Yes, absolutely. Apple is a great example. I love roasting them. I love mashing them up for like an apple sauce almost. Um, I throw them in salad or I have like a really good pasta dish that I like that has chicken sausage in it and the apple really complements. Well, going into fall, apples are a great additive flavor to, to many salads. And I like them just as a snack with some almond butter too. I mean, very simple. The apple was meant to be eaten just plain. So I think that by finding different variations of foods also allows you to not get sick of eating the same thing over and over, which is another reason why I think we tend to fall off the wagon because we have these restricted diets that we're only eating X amount of foods and we just can't live like that. And
0: I love that you were saying earlier as well in line with this comment that you got, if you try making a meal and it doesn't turn out great that you should try again, maybe you got to tweak it or you got to give yourself more time. So you're not rushing in the end because I know from experience that if I tried making a dish, and I thought it was going to be easy and it turned out horrible. That recipe goes in the trash. Mm. But in reality, it's probably because I either wasn't keeping an eye on it or, or you just got to try things a couple times to get really good at that. I really like that you shared that. I think that's very important too.
1: Yeah, and everyone has different flavors too and tastes. So I have an e-cookbook that that it's called Best Whole Five and it does contain like five key components or five key ingredients that you could use in several ways. And I write out the recipes based on how I make it and how I eat it. But maybe someone wants it a little more spicy, maybe someone wants things cooked a little differently, a little more well done or, or something. And I think that when you take a recipe, unless you're baking, baking, you have to follow exactly because it's like a science experiment. Cooking, you could do whatever you want. And if you want to add a different flavor, if you like more garlic, if you like it a little more spicy or less spicy, whatever it is, you can do that. And that's why it's good if you make a recipe and you're like, "Eh," like, it could have been better if it was more X, Y, and Z. That's what you want to do. And you could play around with it and just kind of take it as a a learning lesson. Or maybe the recipe felt like, oh, it should have been a little more dry. So I could add more breadcrumbs next time or whatever it is. You're allowed to do that and kind of tweak it to your liking and then it becomes yours.
0: Yeah, one tip that I had a friend share with me about roasting vegetables. She was always a big fan of using fresh vegetables. She would go to a produce junction or some type of grocery store that had an abundance of those. And I was always someone that would buy frozen because it keeps longer, right? We're in this mindset of like, how can I make things stretch as long as possible? But I'd cook these frozen vegetables and they didn't taste that great. I mean, they were fine. They got the job done. But when I switched to using real vegetables, like fresh broccoli roasted with just a little bit of mm-hmm. olive oil, salt, pepper, that was such a game changer.
1: <laughs> yes, that that's how I make my broccoli. Absolutely. And roasting is also better than boiling because you're sealing in all of the nutrients. So I roast broccoli, carrots, Brussels sprouts, like all of that. Even green beans, I'll saute quickly in a pan and like get the char on them instead of boiling them. It's just really simple to do. And I love utilizing the oven for roasting vegetables too, because I could do something else while those are in the oven. So I don't have to constantly keep an eye on them. So it's just kind of like you have to do what's good for your lifestyle. And once you discover a really good way, like broccoli is one of those foods that when done the right way is amazing and when when not cooked the right way or not cooked to your liking is just awful. So once you find a way that you enjoy eating broccoli, preferably on a healthier note, Then, you know, that's it. That's your way of getting more veggies. So just keep trying things to see what you like most. And you may be surprised and maybe you grew up with your parents only making steamed broccoli and the thought is terrible. But you know what, you could try it yourself and make it roasted. And as you said, it could be a game changer.
0: Yeah. Like Brussels sprouts growing up, they would just boil them and they tasted (laughs) like just mash. It was, it was so disgusting. And then when I was older, I tried them roasted. I was like, oh, these are actually good. Like I, I enjoy having these with dinner.
1: Yeah. So much of how we eat is also like how it's prepared and in the form. And you know, sometimes like I, I overdid it on sweet potatoes a few years ago. I think I just ate them like mashed I should say mashed sweet potatoes like constantly and then I realized like oh you can make it into sweet potato fries or make it as a hash and there's so many things you could do and honestly changing the texture of something just it 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 really makes the difference in how many times you could eat the same food and not get tired of it and it's just because you're changing the form
0: I'm curious when you start working with a client what are the signs that you're looking for that this person's actually ready to make a change? That way, if someone's looking to make a change, they could be asking themselves these questions to know, do I need to work on this first before I either invest money or time or energy searching for those answers?
1: That is a great question. I honestly talk to so many different people who um, have had negative experiences in the past. And I think that in working with someone or doing a program, and the way that I know that they're ready to make a change is when they put the essentially the blame on themselves. If I say, well, what didn't work last time? And they'll say, I didn't take it seriously, or I only did half the work or I cheated a lot or whatever it was. I know that that means that they came to terms that okay, this is serious. Now, they're done fooling around. If they blame it on, well, the program was this, or this person wasn't great, or then I think that they're kind of still in that excuse making era, and they're not ready to commit. And it is totally on you, you have to show up and bring your 100% dedication to the table, because only you are going to benefit and only you are going to suffer. So it's just Bringing your whole self and saying, okay, I'm ready to do this regardless of what that means, time, money, whatever. And I do think too that a big part of it is thinking of the alternatives and what would happen if you didn't do this. And that's where a lot of people realize that they need to start making a change because it's typically something happens or they want to wear something that no longer fits or they want to go somewhere and they're nervous they're going to be sick or it's always something that they think if I don't do something what is the alternative.
0: Yeah, I went to school for health promotion. And we talk a lot about your internal desire to make a change. But I think hearing from someone that is actually working with people, and you're seeing this play out day to day, like, that's such a great learning tool. And you were mentioning the words best whole self in what you were just talking about. I know that's also the title of your website. I'm just Mm -hmm. curious to hear how did you stumble upon that? It's a little bit of career mixed yes. in with the health.
1: <laughs> it is so. Um. So self dot com is my website, and the reason why I named my business that is because my motto is: it's not about being skinny; it's about being your best whole self. And that's emotional and physical health. Living with Crohn's disease, I was at my skinniest when I was my least healthy. So I do not believe that the number on the scale indicates how healthy or unhealthy you are. It's all about having that. Um, you know, that energy and the mental clarity. And I, I tell people, if you're restricting yourself from eating so that you're a certain size, but you're miserable, well, that's not being your best whole self. And I don't just focus on working with people on what they eat. It's also how they eat, how they approach this healthy lifestyle, how they approach relationships and other ways that you can nourish your body that doesn't involve food, just because emotions are so closely tied to the way that we eat. So I think that focusing on a number, like when I have people tell me that they want to lose X amount of pounds, I always ask why? Because I personally don't own a scale, you could technically not lose weight, like the number on the scale cannot move. But yet you could lose inches. And if you suffer from chronic bloating, that could go down too. So there's so much more to the overall how you feel and your confidence than that number on the scale. And I think we're just so trained as a society to be a certain size, a certain weight, and it means absolutely nothing when it comes to your overall health and how you feel day in and day out. So I just like to focus on the whole picture and being your best whole self.
0: I love that. I I know that people that are so focused on the scale, it, it takes away from the experience. I mean, aren't you doing this to be In a better spot for the future, not just for the right now. And so by focusing strictly on the scale, you're kind of losing the whole message and the whole piece of the
1: journey. Exactly. Numbers to be concerned about are cholesterol and if you're vitamin deficient or iron deficient. Like, those are numbers that are indicative of certain things. But the number on the scale, people say, like, oh, I lost, you could lose three pounds overnight. And that could honestly just be because you ate less sodium that day. And then you could gain five pounds the next day because of one thing that you ate. And I actually, I work with people who are concerned about gaining weight as well. So it's kind of on the flip side. So the number that they're looking at is a lot to do with being, I, I had this client, this was my first ever client, actually, he was a firefighter. And he said, I need to gain 20 pounds. And I asked him why. And he said, because I have to be able to hold the hose by myself during a fire. And he had Crohn's. So he would gain weight by eating like donuts and cookies and all the ways that you think you would gain weight, which would only hurt his stomach more, make him have frequent bowel movements, and then he would lose the weight. So I asked, I said, so you just have to hold the hose like that's, that's the goal. And he said, yes. So we added a lot of healthy fats and eating at different times to bulk up a little bit. And he was really happy with the number on the scale. Then he went to the doctor's office and he called me He said, I think my scales calibrated wrong at home. I'm five pounds shy of my goal weight. But the next day he had to go use the hose for his training and he did it fine. And he had to do a stairway test, holding all the equipment and he did it all. So those five pounds it was okay. Like he he gained the weight that he had to, and he gained the strength that he had to. So in that way, I always tell people, what if you find out that your scale is calibrated wrong? What would happen? You're still fitting in your clothes. You're still feeling confident. That's what should count. You're still able to do the chores at hand, like this gentleman's case. That's fine. So he gained the weight that he had to, he gained the muscle. He was able to work out and build that back up. And he accomplished his goal in carrying the hose by himself. So, you know, it's just all about what your goals are and what you want to achieve that just has so little to do with that number on the scale. And it speaks
0: a lot of volume in hearing you talk about that story that you were able to ask those probing questions because anybody else that just hears, well, I want to gain 20 pounds. It's like, okay, well, here's my cookie cutter program to gaining weight. But in reality, it wasn't really the number on the scale he was aiming for. It was the fact that he needed to do something for his job. So just being able to ask those, you know, probing questions, I think is so helpful for people on their journey. And to pick your brain a little bit, you've talked about you have an online coaching program, you have an ebook. Are there any other goals that you see for yourself for the future, whether that be with Best Whole Self? Just curious
1: what your plans are moving forward. I love presenting. Um, doing these in-house, well, now they're webinars, they used to be in-person workshops, it is absolutely something that I love doing and presenting to the masses. I want to reach more people. The one-on-one coaching is great. I just wish that there were more of me to go around so that I could help More people. So, by doing more broad, generalized public speaking events, I love that just because I could reach so many more people and deliver my message that I think a lot of people should really start taking seriously. And we see what happens when health isn't a priority, and we see what happens when we let our mental health get the best of us. And it just is so important. I, I don't think it's self care. I think it's self-care to benefit everyone around you. And the more people just think of the domino effect, if we were all the best versions of ourselves, how that would have a ripple effect through everyone's life. And I, I just want to reach as many people as possible.
0: I love that. And so this is my final question. I ask this to everyone that comes on the podcast as a guest. What is one thing you would tell your younger self?
1: I would tell myself, it is never too late. And I know that we we discussed this earlier, but if anyone listening to this takes one thing away, is that it's never too late to start a healthier lifestyle, to start a happier life, to start a better relationship. Don't think I, I've come this far. Or I've put in this much time to one thing. I'm going to stick it through if it's not making you happy because what truly makes you happy is right around the corner. And you're going to be living tomorrow anyway, you might as well live tomorrow and be happy. And you may as well live tomorrow and be healthy and doing what you want. So it's never too late. Don't think you're ever stuck. As they say, your current situation is not your final destination. So if you've been putting something off just because you think that it, it's too late, or it's going to require too much time, and it, it ha- something has to happen tomorrow anyway. So you might as well make it something good. It's never too late and that carries through every single aspect of your life.
0: So if you're someone that maybe has family or friends pushing you towards something you don't like, take it from Julie and all the information she shared with us today. It's never too late to make that change. So Julie, thank you so much for coming on the So Rude podcast. We loved having you. I think everyone listening got a lot of great tips and I really enjoyed having you here. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Paige. It was my pleasure.
0: Of course. So everyone, thank you so much again for listening to another episode of the So Rude Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you leave a comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, all the major streaming services. If you're not already, make sure you follow me on Instagram at SoRude.Podcast and Twitter at SoRudePodcast. I'm going to link all of Julie's links below in the description. So make sure you check that out as well. And Julie, thank you so much again for coming on the So Rude Podcast. My pleasure, Paige. Have a great day,
1: everyone. Bye.